And so if you have a Bible, find the book of 1 Kings. 1 Kings, we're going to be in chapter number 19. 1 Kings 19. And this morning is uh, it's week number four of a six-part series, a six-part study on the topic of anxiety and depression uh, in our culture, in the church, in our world. And uh, we've been using the phrase, out of the cave, out of the cave, uh, to talk about this. And I've started each week very much the same. Uh, if you were here last fall, almost a year ago now, this topic came up and uh, we did a week or two on this topic of mental illness, uh, depression, and anxiety, and we had more people come through our doors, we had more people asking questions, more people uh, saying, yes, let's talk about this topic, and now a year later, we're kind of revisiting this entire idea, spending six weeks on it, because I know this and you know this, mental illness is a massive issue in our culture. In fact, every single one of us in this place, you know somebody that where anxiety, depression, however you want to, you know, and I use the word depression as kind of a catch-all here uh, for just the darkness and the heaviness, the emotional weight, all of that, but every single one of us, we know somebody who has a massive, heavy issue with this topic of depression and anxiety. And for some of us in this place, this is your story, and this is something that you struggle with and battle with in massive, heavy ways. And maybe you have went to psychiatrists and taken medication, and you have done all sorts of different things trying to figure this out, but this is your, this is your thing. And, uh, and, and, and I, just, I just say all of that to say this matters. And uh, I'm not a doctor, I'm not a psychiatrist, I'm not a counselor, Uh, this is not my expertise and I don't pretend that it is, but here's what I believe, we were created in the image of God, by God, and that means that there are spiritual answers that we need to talk about uh, alongside physical and emotional needs. And so that's why we're here, that's what we're doing uh, and that's what this is. And, and I, I also just believe in this beautiful book that we have called the Bible, that it is the very word of God to us. Uh, and in the pages of that book are answers to every topic and every situation we could ever deal with, including this one. Uh, and we've seen over the past number of weeks, depression comes up in the Bible. In fact, this entire six-week study has been, it's built around the story of a man named Elijah. Long story short, and we'll get into it a little bit more, but Elijah has an amazing supernatural encounter with God. The next day, he finds himself underneath a tree wanting to die, totally overwhelmed with fear, anxiety, and depression, and saying, God, take my life. I've had enough. We see this in the, in the scripture, and just to give you a little bit of a... Uh, uh, a recap of the last couple of weeks to get us all on the same page. I know some of you were, have been here, but some of you were here and you didn't listen, and others of you weren't here. So we're just going to kind of connect the dots here for all of us, okay? Uh, the first week, we just talked about this idea that, yes, even Christians get depression, get depressed. And we, we hit this idea hard. And, and, and we said, there are Christian circles that are saying, if you love Jesus and follow Jesus, then the joy of the Lord will be your strength, that you will never have emotional needs and struggles in your life anymore. And we just said, that is not true. That is not in the Bible. That is not what we see. And week number two, that brought us to this idea, where we saw that many doctors and most psychiatrists will actually say, most of the time, depression in our culture is a disease of the lifestyle. Okay? 
Not to discount medical, chemical stuff and, and trauma that has come from our past, but most of the time, depression and anxiety in our culture is a disease of the lifestyle, and you may be a happy, easygoing person, but I'm just telling you, if you don't get enough sleep, and you don't get proper nutrition, and you don't have the right relationships, and you work too much and don't ever go outside, you're going to struggle with this topic. Okay, uh, as we open the door and we can open the door for depression and anxiety in our lives with the way that we are living, even though we are Christians. Nod your head if you agree with that. Okay, seven, eight of us. That's pretty good. Okay, um, if you missed either of those weeks, we want to just challenge you to go watch those on, on, on our website. Uh, that's enough of an introduction for today. Let's get to the Bible. So please stand with me all over this place. Okay, if you have been here the past three weeks, you almost have this passage of scripture memorized. We're lead, we've been reading it every week, same exact thing, and there's a reason for that. Uh, and so let's just read this together. This is First uh, Kings chapter number 19. 19, right? Yes, there we go. And we're going to start right in verse number one. Here's what it says. Now Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done, how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, may the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like that of one of them. Elijah had this supernatural encounter. That's chapter 18. Fire from heaven falls. Uh, He wins this show off, this face, whatever, face off. Face off. Showdown, face off. Thank you, Corey. Okay. And it's a supernatural thing. The king and the queen hear everything that happened, and the queen says, I'm coming for you, Elijah. I'm going to kill you. This is where what we have. Okay. Verse 3 Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. And when he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servants there. While he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness, he came to a broom bush, sat down under it, and prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. Then he lay down under the bush and fell asleep. And all at once an angel touched him and said, Get up and eat. He looked around, and there by his head was some bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate and drank and then lay down again. We talked about this. The first thing God does in Elijah's situation is respond to his depression and anxiety with rest and nutrition. We talked about that, okay? Lifestyle stuff is what we have here. And the supernatural thing with the angel, we expect that in the life of Elijah. Incredible things follow him and happen to him everywhere he goes, and he still finds himself depressed. Okay, verse number seven, the angel of the Lord came back a second time, touched him, and said, get up and eat, for the journey is too much for you. So he got up, and ate and drank. Strengthened by that food, he traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God, and there he went into a cave and spent the night. And God, we just come to you today, we just take a deep breath and invite you into this moment. We pray that you would be glorified in everything that we do, in everything we say, God, that you would be the center of this entire thing, And so we just respond to you and your goodness and your glory and ask that you would help us and center us and teach us and show us, God, all sorts of things. We give this to you, God, in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, give somebody a high five and have a seat. All right, we got a lot to do, so 
Calm down a little bit. Too many high fives. You, you, all right. Uh, fourth week in a row, same exact passage of scripture. In fact, we haven't even gotten any farther in the story. We haven't. Next week, okay, our story right here ends with Elijah going in the cave, and we're talking about out of the cave, and we haven't even got in the cave really, okay? Uh, but next week, next week we're going to, the last two weeks are going to be this incredible focus on how we see God bringing Elijah out of this cave. And this cave is a physical cave for him, but there's symbolism here. This cave also represents kind of the heaviness and the darkness of depression and all of that in his life. And we're going to see God do supernatural things, and there's incredible things. The next, the next two weeks, weeks five and six, we're going to focus on, uh, on that stuff. Today, though, is, uh, is I'll call it this, it is part two of week three, but it's actually week number four. Did you catch that? So it's, it's going to be the extension of last week's message. Uh, last Sunday, we went in this direction in the story of Elijah. We made the argument there that there were specific things that contributed to the downward spiral of depression in his story. Specific things. There were four of them. Uh, we got through two of them last week, and, uh, and today is the second part of last week's message, and if you weren't here and you're like, oh, I missed half of it, it's okay. Uh, you will fit in perfectly with where we're at and where we're going uh, to today, okay? And so Elijah is on this emotional mountain in chapter number 18. As he has experienced God in a supernatural way, he has won a battle Things are incredible, that, and, uh, and, and then at that point, he goes from this mountaintop to things completely spiraling out of control emotionally for him as he is overwhelmed with fear and anxiety because the queen wants to kill him. And so four contributing factors to Elijah's downward spiral of depression. Go ahead and put that slide up here for me. Uh, these are the four. Uh, we talked about the first two last week, social distancing, as we read that Elijah left his servant and wanders off into the wilderness all by himself. We talked about how we are relational people, and as soon as we begin to distance ourselves from people, uh, we struggle. We are the body of Christ. We are a church family. We are, uh, you know, the flock. We are all of that, which indicates togetherness in so many different ways. And Elijah wanders off all by himself and finds himself in a wilderness alone. And a few seconds later, he's under a tree wanting to die. Social, social distancing and isolation. The second thing we talked about last week was this thing. We called it the comparison trap. Elijah says some, something super goofy as he sits under the tree wanting to die. He says, I've had enough, Lord. Take my life. And then he says, I'm no better than my ancestors. And we talked about the toxic thing that is comparison in our culture, the social media where we compare our everyday life with the highlight reel of those around us, okay, and how it just is toxic in nature. That was those last two weeks. So here we are today, number three, we are looking at the topic of rumination and what we're calling the unseen enemy. Some of you don't know what those words mean yet, and that's okay. All right, if you're taking notes and take notes, write some stuff down. Four contributing factors to Elijah's downward spiral. Number three, are you ready? Here we go. It's the word rumination, rumination. And 
to start, let me define this word for those who maybe are not familiar with it. Rumination comes up uh, in the dictionary in two different ways, in two different places. First one is talking about farming, and the second one is talking about the human mind, but they overlap in kind of a cool way. In, in farming, rumination is the fancier word for when a cow chews its cud. Rumination, it ruminates. And in that context, rumination is defined as this, to chew again what has been chewed slightly and swallowed. And in order to chew something again that has been swallowed, you know you got to kind of vomit that thing up again, right? Yeah, yeah, okay, that's enough nastiness for today. But uh, if you grew up in the big city, let, let me just explain a little bit the biology of a cow. This will be fun. Okay, a cow, when, when, when a cow eats, it chews the grass or whatever for a little while, and then it swallows it. Uh, that's not weird. We do that. But then the cow go, like, starts the process of digestion and different things, and then the cow uh, regurgitates, is the word we'll use, uh, that chewed grass back up from its stomach to its mouth, chews it a little bit more. I have a video of this. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> that would be gross. This is not okay in church, Okay. But the, ch- the, the cow chews it, swallows it, digestion takes place a little bit, puts it back up, chews it again, swallows it again. Rumination. Yeah, that's so much fun. Okay, that's in the farming sense. The same word is also used to talk about the human mind. Here's the second definition of this word, uh, right from Webster's Dictionary. Obsessive thinking about an idea, a situation, or choice, especially when it interferes with normal mental functioning, obsessively thinking about an idea, situation, or a choice. Anyone ever found themselves doing that? Obsessively thinking about something in that way. Uh, The psychology group phrased it like this, it's when your thoughts don't have an off button. When your thoughts don't have an off button. And here's a list of phrases associated with rumination in the mind. I have racing thoughts. Maybe you've said that or heard that. I'm always dwelling on things. I can't shut my mind off. I tend to overthink everything. Anyone in this place, just be honest with me and say, I do that. Okay, come on. So many of us, we do that. And here's why this matters. Uh, As motivational speaker, a guy named Brian Tracy says, 95% of your emotions are determined by the way you talk to yourself, okay? And I don't know if that's a firm, proven statistic, but I think we can all agree that the way that we talk to ourselves, the way that we think about ourselves and what we're doing and who we are, and the list goes on and on, like all of that stuff very, very much shapes our emotions, what we feel, okay? We could say it this way, how we talk to ourselves shapes how we feel, now, this isn't always a bad thing, this idea of rumination uh, in thinking, because in fact, you can, you can read experts say things like, this form of processing can lead to greater self-awareness, it can lead to a better preparation for future situations, turning things over and over in our minds about how you handled a situation, what you said, how you could have done things better. That's not always a bad thing. That's, you know, we use the word, I'm processing. That's not a terrible thing. But listen to me, don't miss this right here. In our, in our culture of comparison, And last week we talked about how toxic that could be. In our culture of comparison, rumination can get ugly awfully quick. Partly because thinking like this, 
thinking and ruminating in this way, I'll just put it, I'll word it this way, rumination amplifies negativity. It amplifies negativity. Now, let me illustrate this for you. Have you ever been in a a church service or at a concert or anywhere that has like a sound system and all of a sudden the speakers like start doing this crazy hum thing and and it gets a little louder and louder and louder and louder and it just kind of... You, ever, you know what I'm talking about? Or am I all alone? Okay. And until finally the, the, the sound guy figures out and stops it, you know what I'm talking about. Let me explain to you technically what is happening to a sound system when that happens. This is why you came today. I know for some of us, you're like, this is so great. Okay. You have a microphone like this one right here. And that feedback is what that is called. Holy cow. Got tight. Oh. I want to see if I can get this. Just a second. We've got knots and that feedback in a micro in a in a microphone in a sound system happens when a when a microphone like this actually is a little bit in front of a speaker. Okay, whether that could be a monitor type of speaker or something like this. When a microphone gets in front of it, what happens is a little bit of a, the sound goes in here and it goes out the speaker and back into the microphone, which then amplifies it back into the speaker. It comes out louder into the microphone again, and this cycle begins to happen where the sound then gets carried away louder and louder and louder. So if you're ever wondering, you hear that sound and you're like, okay, why can't they fix that? It's this complicated thing that has happened where the microphone amplifies that over and over and over again. Sorry, Jeremy, you're going to have to put this back together before you sing. But, okay. uh, but listen to me, this is what happens in our minds when we begin to ruminate on the right, wrong types of things, it begins to amplify the negativity over and over and over and over again until that thing becomes a whole lot bigger than it ever was. You understand what I'm saying here? Okay, and so let me find my place here. Rumination in our minds. When we process events, conversations, things we did, things we said, something like that, that can be a good thing, but then we, we kind of swallow it and we regurgitate the whole thing up all over again and we think about that thing and we rethink about that thing and we bring it up in our minds again. And we say, wow, that, you know, I, I, I can't believe I said that or whatever. And we begin, and each time you bring that up, it becomes louder and louder and louder. And the amplified negativity in our mind then begins to bring about an emotional response. An emotional response, okay? Let, let me give you an example. Let's say, for instance, that you say something stupid. And you're on a stage, and everyone's listening to you. And you're trying to be funny, but nobody laughs. Let's just say this is totally hypothetical, okay? In nature is what this is. But then you go home later that day, and you think, that was, that was really dumb of me. Like, I can't believe I said that. I can't believe it. And an hour later, during the commercial of the Vikings game, you think, did I really say that in front of all of those people? Did I really say that? I, can, I cannot believe, what in the world was I thinking? And at this point now, bringing it up again and again, there's, I can now feel this in my emotions. Emotionally, 
I, my feelings are now connected with what's happening in my mind as I begin to continue on stirring this pot right here. And, and it's, it's embarrassment that I feel. It's a bit of shame. It's a sense of I'm stupid, okay? Like labeling myself now in a way like that. What in the world was I thinking? And it continues. They're all going to think I'm dumb. They're, some of them probably aren't even going to come back to church anymore. I don't know if I want to get up on stage in front of people anymore. And now we get all sorts of all over the place. And the whole thing started with something that all of y'all forgot 30 seconds after it happened. And I dwell and I fester and I whatever else words to the point where it now amplifies the negativity in a way that causes an emotional response in me. The downward spiral of rumination bringing out an emotional response, it, it leads to hysteria over things that do not even matter. And that sounds ridiculous, but you do that too. You do that too. You do. Well, where do we see this in the story of Elijah? Okay. Uh, we maybe don't see this written out in the details that I just shared, but I think that you would agree with me that Elijah doesn't go from a mountaintop experience in chapter 18 to wanting to die in chapter 19 without a mess of something happening in his mind. And in commentaries from Bible scholars teaching on the story, like many of them, many of them go off into this sense of the mental battle, the rumination as one of the reasons that Elijah sank into this depression. He wins this sacrifice showdown with 450 prophets of this false god named Baal. And then, that's chapter 18, and a few short days later, Elijah seems to question everything. His identity, his purpose, he's questioning, questioning, his abil questioning God's ability to protect him, even though God has shown himself faithful over and over and over again, and he isolates himself, gets into his own head. Write this down. Rumination allows our feelings to define our lives and dictate our actions. When Elijah hears that the queen wants him dead, he responds by fleeing in fear. And though fleeing in fear, like when something is threatening your life, can seem to make sense, not necessarily in the case of Elijah. Let me explain. Elijah had experienced moments like this throughout his life. In fact, he was facing, you could argue he was facing death in chapter 18 with this showdown with all of these prophets of Baal. If his God doesn't show up in chapter 18, Elijah probably doesn't live to see chapter 19. And we see that because the 450 losers all lost their life in the story. Okay, Elijah runs in fear and he begins to realize what he has done. And I believe things begin to spiral. Like in his mind, why, why would God allow this queen to even come after me after I did everything he asked? Uh, I'm trying to be God's servant here and do the best I can, but, but nobody's paying attention to me. Uh, if, if God's people don't listen to the warning I've given them, then I can't help them. I've had enough. I'm fed up, okay, because there's more to this story that goes on before chapter 18. See, God had told Elijah 
to say some pretty harsh things to the people of Israel, and the response was not very good from the people. Okay? He, he called the people to repentance and to come back to God, and the people basically spit in his face and said, no, 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 we don't need to do that. And Elijah, in his mind, saying, nothing I'm doing is making a difference, and, and ruminating that over and over, I'm, I'm giving up, Lord, I just want to die. See, Elijah felt like a failure, even though he wasn't. And here's why. He accepted his feelings as facts. I feel like a failure, so I must be a failure. And many people who are trapped in depression, they're trapped in depression because they're living by their feelings instead of the truth and the promises that God has for us. Living by the way that we feel. Understand, your feelings are are not an accurate representative of how things really are. Your feelings are real, very much so, but they aren't necessarily true. Did you hear that? Your feelings are a real thing. It's your body and your emotions. Your feelings are very real, but they're not necessarily true. Like they may, like have you ever looked at one of those goofy funhouse mirror things at the fair? You walk in and they make you look all funny and you got one of them that makes you look all skinny and we like that one and then you go to the next one and you're like, oh no, what happened to me? And you look at that thing and it distorts reality. You know what? Anyone know what I'm talking about? The fun house mirror thing, okay? Rumination does the same thing. Instead of seeing ourselves the way God sees us, we see other stuff. We see stuff that is not even true. And we live in regret and shame from our past, like rehashing what we did, where we went, what we said. We chew on it and swallow it and then regurgitate it up. And each time it gets a little bit louder and louder. And before long, we begin to feel all that stuff. We carry it around with us and we label ourselves as this is who I am, okay? Uh, and, and, and we spiral into emotional unhealthiness because we carry around the emotions of things that are not even true or real. That was a lot, but you do that. Some of us more than others, but we all do this. And here's where things get even messier, and this leads us all to the fourth contributing factor, and that is this. We're just going to call it the unseen enemy. Let me read a couple of scripture verses to paint this picture because this is going to kind of build up on top of the rumination idea. Ephesians chapter 6 says this, put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, the authorities, the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realm. Some of you have no idea what that means. 1 Peter chapter 5, be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. John 10.10, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I have come that they might have life and have it to the full. Understand this, the Bible points to the fact that we have an enemy as Christians. That we have an enemy. His name is Satan. You could call him the devil. You can, okay? And he's not alone. He has a host of fallen angels called demons that are very much, very much real. And if you are a person that believes in the Bible, you can't just pick out the beautiful good things about Jesus and say, yes, 
you have to also look at the fact that the Bible is filled with things that you may not want to read, like the idea that Satan is real and that we have an enemy, okay? And, okay, Satan said, or the Bible says Satan, the demons were once angels. Pride took them and they fell. And the scripture says Satan now prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. And listen, here's the connection. And here's why I bring this up. Satan's main battleground is your mind. It's your mind. Your mind is a battlefield. Some of you grew up in the 80s and you say, no, 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 love is a battlefield. <laughs> I'm telling you, your mind, your mind, is, your mind is a battlefield. Your mind is a battlefield. Satan takes our rumination and he takes it to the next level and it's destructive. He attempts to take your mistakes and make them into your identity. It's what he does, and he's sneaky, and he's crafty, and he knows exactly what thoughts to put in your mind that will send you down a toxic direction. Listen to this. You may have done something evil in your life that doesn't make you evil. Hear the difference in that is what you did. It's not who you are. You may have a past filled with mistakes. You may have a past filled with mistakes. Those are things you did, it's not who you are. And the devil fills our minds with lies and reminds you of what you did and tries to convince you that that is who you are. The Bible, in fact, calls Satan the, the, the father of lies. And in the war against anxiety and depression, uh, like it can be helpful for us to understand that this is more than a physical battle here. That we, there are spiritual things going on all the time behind the scenes that we do not see. And whether you see it or not, whether you know it or not, whether you believe it or not, there is a battle for your very soul, one that can leave you wounded, collapsing, and in a wilderness, hiding in a dark cave if you are not careful. Now, two, two mistakes that Christians make when it comes to talking about the devil. Are you ready for this? Number one is this, we act, as, we act as if Satan doesn't exist. And we live that way. And there are people, we brought this up a moment, we, we, there are people who love the idea of a loving God and a loving Jesus and everything he stands for and all of that type of stuff. But the idea of an enemy and a bad guy, the idea of Satan, I don't like that idea. And we begin to act and believe like this is not a real thing. And understand Satan would like nothing more than for you to just hang out, for, for you to just let him hang out under the radar and just destroy you through your mind and the way that you think and even your family. But there's also a second mistake that Christians make, and I didn't originally have this in here, but it just kind of, actually it was this morning that I added this whole piece. And that is this, another mistake we make is there are some that excessively blame the devil for everything. And this is... This is also not very healthy spiritually to do this, and it's more common than you think, and the dishwasher breaks down and we say, I'm facing a spiritual attack. Okay, we, we laugh, but we do that, and, and we run out of gas on the road and we say, Satan has just really been hitting me hard this week, when the reality is your dishwasher is probably too old and you probably bought the cheap one that only lasts four years anyway, okay, <laughs> and it broke because of that, and you ran out of gas because you forgot to put gas in your tank. It was not the demon of forgetfulness that hits you. Like, like come on. They're, 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 when, we go around, when we go around blaming 
every negative little thing that happens in our life on the devil, then we make a mistake and we get really weird as Christians, by the way. And, you, and when you talk to people who don't go to church and they hear you say stuff like that, it is not helping. It is not helping anything. It just makes us feel and sound weird. So just don't miss that. Okay, so we make mistakes on that. Two extremes. One says Satan is not real. And the other says, like, Satan is everywhere all the time and everything that I do and every sickness and every, everything is him. That is, okay, D- don't, miss, like, don't mess that up. Both sides aren't healthy. Both sides lead to a weak spiritual life, honestly. And we don't have enough time to give this topic what it deserves here. But here's what I do believe and just what I want to say. Like, when it comes to the topic of depression specifically, we often downplay the role that the enemy has in our situation. Elijah's story, I believe, is not just a story of him running from danger. Like, I don't, I don't believe he was just running from this woman named Jezebel leaving his servant behind, collapsing in the wilderness, hiding in a cave because fear overwhelmed him. There's more going on here. Elijah, I believe, was in a spiritual battle for his soul, for his future. And when we face the factors of depression, like, like we are in the same battle. And as, comfort- as uncomfortable as this may make you feel, the devil is real. And he's dead set against you. And the enemy does everything he can to kill, steal, and destroy God's people and this place. The good news, however, is scripturally every demon in hell bows to the name of Jesus. And there's good news in that. Okay? Now, God is bigger. God is more powerful And we have the power of God through the Holy Spirit living in us and through us. And so how do we defeat the attacks of Satan in our lives? And this is kind of where we're getting to the very end, okay? Because we have rumination and we have then the enemy piling that on top of us, causing us and tempting us to begin to label ourselves, okay? Uh, We use words often around, like in life, where we we say things like, um, I'm an addict, okay? Instead of saying, I am addicted, we, we, we label ourselves. Uh, in fact, in fact one of the, I was reading something, this is not in my notes, but I was reading something a couple years ago about people who were trying to quit smoking. And this doctor was making the case that one of the most successful ways and beginning points of someone who wants to stop smoking is for you to stop saying, I'm a smoker, and start saying, I have, a, I have an issue sometimes with cigarettes. And mentally, the change that that makes when you begin to take the label off of you and you no longer call yourself a smoker, you can say, I used to be, or whatever else. You, you can make it four hours and not smoke, and you, you can say to yourself, I used to be. Okay? And the mental thing can move you in the right direction. But how do we defeat the attacks of Satan in our lives? It's a big question. And today, as we're talking about anxiety and depression, we're focusing on that right there. But we defeat the father of lies with the truth of God's word. We defeat the father of lies with the truth. Rumination, okay, emotional response begins to fester in the things and they become untrue, at least at the level of what actually happened. Okay, the lie, you are a failure. The truth, you have incredible purpose in God. And he has a future that is good for you. The lie, you would be better off dead. The truth, 
You were wonderfully and masterfully created by God. And he has a plan, and he loves you, and you matter. The lie, nobody loves me, nobody cares that I'm even here. The truth is, God deeply, deeply loves you and deeply cares for you. And whether you feel it or not, there are people in your life that love you and care about you. You may not feel it, but your feelings are not the best gauge of what is true. Your feelings are real, but it doesn't mean they're true. See, Satan fills our minds with lies, but that's just what they are. They are lies. Jesus says, know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Music team, will you please come? If you are looking for more information on this topic, this topic of our mind could be a 10-week series on its all by itself. A great book that I would recommend that you read is called The War... Craig Rochelle, it's by a guy named Craig Rochelle, The War Within, or the something like that. Look it up, okay? You'll like it. you find that. <laughs> Craig Rochelle, Craig Rochelle Mind Book, and you will find it. Uh, it is an absolutely fantastic book on this topic. It goes into all sorts of areas. It's from a Bible perspective, too, which I believe to just be so real. Will you stand with me all over this place? Some of you here, you know, you know that this is like, this is your battle. That your mind, your mind is out of control. And I'm just telling you, I'm telling you the depression and anxiety that you feel, it may, first of all, it may be just an overflow from your lifestyle. Get some sleep and start eating a little bit better and getting the right relationships and that'll go a long way. But for some of us in this place, you, you have no control your, your mind is running just ragged. And you cannot get a handle on this. And you're constantly facing this. I'm not good enough. I'm all alone. I can't believe I did that. And I said that. I'm a failure. I'm no good. First of all, understand what that is. The enemy, which is a very real thing, can absolutely destroy you if you let him continue to fill you with that junk and begin to realize the things that I often think about myself are nothing but in a way kind of mental attacks and they're not real and they're not true if you find yourself labeling yourself I am this I am evil because I did that. Understand that is not right. That is not real. And begin to understand that the truth will set you free. And the truth is you are loved and you are created by God. And you are, God, God has a purpose and a plan for you that is bigger and greater than you could ever even understand. And that's good stuff, okay? All right. Um, I want us to sing, I want us to sing just, let's just sing that chorus of this song. Um, I'm going to see a victory because the battle belongs to the Lord. A beautiful thing for us to just kind of end this part. God, we give this to you. Even as we sing these words, let this be significant for somebody in this place. In your name we pray, amen. God, we pray all together right now for an issue that is plaguing so many. 
In fact, God, every single one of us at different points deal with this issue of our mind, our mind lying to us, and us beginning to believe things that are not true. And God, I pray, I pray that even as we begin to be aware of some of what's happening behind the scenes, even as we begin to learn new words like rumination and understand how that amplifies the negativity, how it creates emotional responses, how it is part of the spiral of depression that seems to be so rampant in our world, God. I pray that as we understand that stuff more and more, that we would be aware and that we would begin to be able to make changes. And God, I pray that as we understand the reality of an enemy and how he works and what he does and how he fills our minds, with just the right, or I guess we could say just the wrong things that lead us down a path of very toxic stuff. And so God, we just, God, I pray, I pray for those in this place where this is a real battle, where they know it, God, that their mind is out of control. I pray, God, that they would, that we would begin to do things differently, that we would begin to read books, that we would begin to explore the truth of your word and begin to combat the lies of the enemy that often fill our minds with the truth of God's word of who we are. And so God, we just give this stuff to you. And God, even for someone in this place today that is feeling the way Elijah felt sitting under that tree, God, I don't, I've had enough. God, I pray that you, would, that you would show them that you are right there and that you would fill their mind with good things and the facts, God, of how, how loved they are. Let them feel you close and know you, God. We need that. And Lord, for someone in this place today who has never responded to the message of Jesus and needs to do that, the message that we can be forgiven and we can be free and we can be saved from our sins and in relationship with you, God, for someone who has never responded to that. In fact, if that's you today, you can begin even in your seat to just pray and say, God, forgive me of my sins. God, change my life. God, I, I, I give you thanks for sending Jesus to die. And you can begin to say these things and pray these things in this moment. God is here. God, for that person that needs to do that today, even someone behind a screen in this moment, let something significant come from this moment right here as we, as we surrender, as we become aware, and as we learn more and more, God, about who you are and what you are doing. We love you, God. We need you. And as we walk out these doors today, let us be more aware of you, Holy Spirit, than ever before. God, help us to tell your story and show your love to a world around us. We give this to you, oh God, and it's in the powerful, life-changing name of Jesus we pray. And everybody said, come on, will you put your hands together? Let's just celebrate what God is doing in somebody's life.